So we are in a sermon series called The Art of Rest. Okay, it's week three, so you should know it. Um, and we've been speaking about just the art, like, like a little bit of art history, so looking into what rest means. Um, we came to the great conclusion that we probably don't know what it looks like, um, but that it is most, impro- most probably also more important than we think it is. Um, lo- not last week. Last week we had a Fellowship Sunday. Whom of you were here? You had water slides and jumping castles, okay? Uh, the week of, before that, Andre preached that rest um, allows us to remember um, and that was also an incredible message. And I want to encourage you, if you've been missing any of this series and maybe tonight your first time here, do go to the online platform, highfeld.online. That's where you find everything. If you're new to church, you go where? Highfeld.online. If you want to surf, you go to highfeld.online. If you want to join socials that's happening, go there. If you want to catch up on the sermons, go there. Um, so it really was an incredible word. And tonight we'll speak about rest is resistance. So, we are going through the book by Adam Mabry called Art of Rest. Come on, you guys are so clever. Um, and, and I want to encourage you, we do have some books at sale at the info table, but you can also find it on Kindle if you are more of an ebook person. But it is an incredible book that does challenge our current rhythms of life. Okay, whom of you feel busy? Life is busy. Okay, whom of you feel that life is going to get less busy? Not necessarily. (laughs) If you die, maybe. (laughs) So the problem is not so much being busy, it's busyness. But we have succumbed almost to a busyness culture. So I'm going to read for us an excerpt. Guys, that's big words. An excerpt. From chapter 3. When I run, I feel his pleasure, Eric Little, chariots of fire. I have ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence, Harold Abrams, also chariots of fire. So Adam Mabry writes, the epic movie Chariots of Fire chronicles the rise of Eric Little to fame at the 1924 Olympics. A passionate man of God, Little uttered the famous line, when I run, I feel his pleasure, For him, the work of running was an offering to God. But the movie also has a counter-hero, Harold Abrams. For Abrams, running isn't about pleasing God. It's about proving his purpose. Running gave him 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. All your work will be done for one of these two ends, to glorify God or to justify yourself. And if your work is really just your 10 lonely seconds, or 70 hours a week to justify your whole existence, rest will be out of the question. It would be a waste of time, a sign of weakness, or an admission of failure. But for followers of Jesus, rest isn't a sign of weakness. Rest is an act of profound resistance against the siren call of self-justification. It's not about admitting weakness. It's about having the strength to resist. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here tonight, Lord. We thank you that we get to have fellowship and community and communion with you. Jesus, you prayed that we would be one with the Father as you and the Father are one. And we thank you that we can experience oneness with you. Lord, I pray that as we go into your word tonight, that you would come and teach us, that you would come and minister to us, that you would come and challenge us, Lord, 
in areas where we hold on to ways of thinking, ways of living that is different to what you have promised to us in your word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So if we reflect on this, the, the whole series, we're actually going into the book of Hebrews quite a lot, and we're going into the exile story and the redemption story of the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, if you've never read any of those, um, it's a really fascinating story of how the Israelites ended up in Egypt because of a great famine, but also then how God delivered them and basically brought them into the promised land. Um, so we're going to take a look into, into that but this whole theme of rest might be something that you're like, ah, rest, I've got it under control. I take a weekend off every now and then, and then I'm okay. Or, ah, I slept in this morning. But as we said in week one, rest probably looks different than what you think. And it's also most probably more important than you think. Now, we need to have a good definition of rest. If we don't, we will settle for something different, or we will chase after a false rest, that can ultimately never satisfy. So I'm going to give us a very simple definition, um, and that is to live in the rhythms of God's grace. To live in the rhythm of God's grace. Now you can run in that rhythm. You can walk in that rhythm. You can walk fastly in that rhythm. You can lie down in that rhythm. You see, rest isn't about doing nothing. It's not about going away for a weekend. It's not about shutting off your phone although all of those things are important and Marielle is going to teach us how to do that. But we would like to know how to rest. That's Marielle's sermon. Many people raise their hands, Marielle, so there's high expectations. But rest is not the things that you do, it's a state of being. And when you are in the rhythms of God's grace, God's grace is His supernatural ability beyond your inability. Now, if you think you've got it all figured out and you think that you are strong in yourself, you won't desire to rest in God's grace because you don't need His ability because you are strong in your own might. Correct? But resting in grace means I'm finding my source of sufficiency in one who is higher than I. And I get to live in the rhythms of God's grace. And that is what God is calling us into. Um, in this place of rest, there's a sufficiency, there's His provision, but there's also His joy and His pleasure. And, and often we can even be busy with the things of God, but not experience His joy and His pleasure in your life. Now that's stupid. To be so busy with God, but yet you don't feel His joy and His pleasure over your life. Being in rest in the rhythm of God's grace unlocks His joy and His pleasure that is yours in Christ Jesus. Now Hebrews 4 verse 9 says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And the people of God said, Amen. Okay, or hoo hoo, whatever you want. But yes, that's good news. There is a rest, even though we live in a culture that doesn't experience it, even though we live in a culture that is so busy and overworked and constantly striving towards something, there remains a rest, even though we live in a culture or society that is absolutely counter to what God wants for us. There still remains the promise of rest. Hebrews 4.11, two verses on, um, the writer says, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. 
So there's this promise of rest, and then the writer says, but let us then be diligent to not miss out on that rest because we can follow the same example of the Israelites. So what was that example? I'm going to give us a little bit of a backdrop to the story. So I'm almost said, but fast forward, rewind, okay, rewind. So Israel was God's chosen people, his choice. He chose a small nation, an insignificant nation, to be the image of God to the nations. So through the nation of Israel, the world will know who God is, that God truly is the God of all creation. Um, now through a famine, they end up in Egypt. And that's the fascinating story of how Joseph um, was sold by his brothers and then ultimately ended up second in charge to, um, to the Pharaoh. And then he basically helped the Pharaoh overcome this massive famine that the land was going through. And he had great esteem for Joseph. So then when Joseph's family came back, the Pharaoh gave them special privileges, gave them land to possess, and they did really well. Um, but important to remember, even though they were now enjoying the land and the fruit of the land, they were not meant to live under the rulership of anyone other than God. Even though they were experiencing extreme privileges under Pharaoh, they weren't meant to live under the rulership of Pharaoh. They also weren't meant to live in the land of Egypt because God had a special possession for them, a special land for them to possess. So now a new Pharaoh came in, and he didn't know Joseph. And then he looked at these Israelites, and they were just multiplying, and they were growing, and they were becoming stronger. And as he tried to put harsher stuff on them so that they would become tired and so on, they would just multiply all the more. And there was just a favor and a blessing over the people of Israel. So then what he did is he said, okay, all of them are now slaves. And in that space, three incredibly significant things took place that's still relevant for you and I today. The first thing they lost was their identity. So they were no longer the people of God. They were now just slaves. They were no longer the Israelites who had great favor and God used them to have a plan for this famine in the land. They were just slaves. They had no privileges. They just had to work. Then there was reward for their work. They could get food and get shelter. <laughs> well done. Significant if you look at the story of Jesus then when he says, do not worry about what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or where you shall live. The connection between all of these different things. So the first thing they lost was their identity. The second thing is their worth or their value. So their worth was now connected to what they do, what they are able to contribute. And if they were no longer able to contribute anything or add value to the Pharaoh's plans, then their lives became of no worth. Um, there's a good word where you just discard something, dispensable. Their lives became of no worth. Um, so they would be beaten, they would be struck down, um, and often they would be killed because they added no value to the plans of Pharaoh. Your worth was directly connected to what you do. And then the third thing is their inheritance. Slaves had zero inheritance. They owned nothing. Um, they would own nothing in the future, even after slaving away and working hard in the land. At the end, nothing would be theirs, and they would have nothing to give their children. There was no inheritance left for the next generation. But God is the great redeemer. He is the great rescuer, um, and he steps in, and he has a plan to get his people out of Egypt, and that's the whole exile story that we get to read in, um, in the book of Exodus, well, up unto the book of Deuteronomy as well, 
But there's a significant part of this, almost like this journey that God now has to take with the people of Israel to get them out of a physical Egypt, but also out of a spiritual Egypt. And we'll get to that now. So God performed these miracles. If you've never read the story, there were these plagues and all of these signs and wonders and the show-off between Pharaoh's um, people who would perform signs and then they would be able to get nothing right and then Moses would come and they would perform these miraculous acts of God and ultimately Pharaoh would just say, okay, go, take the people and go. Um, And they would then go and then the Pharaoh changed his mind and he sent the soldiers after the people of Israel and then they get to this Red Sea moment. And here's what the people of Israel now tell Moses in Exodus 14, 12. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Right? So that's just before the Red Sea. And then God opens the way and he lets the Red Sea collapse on the Egyptians. So now they've seen this incredible hand of God at work. Then Exodus 16, not many chapters going forward. These people were a really stubborn bunch. Like two chapters on, they were now worrying about what they will eat. They're in the wilderness. God, what will we eat? What will we drink? And this is what they say to Moses. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. (laughs) And then what does God do? He provides bread from heaven and quail. So he feeds them supernaturally. So again, they see the hand of God. Go forward in the story because of their own rebellion and disobedient hearts. And if you read that story, they would drift and God would bring them back. And they would drift and God would bring them back. And now they are literally on the verge of entering the promised land in the book of Deuteronomy. And God gives them this instruction because, again, their hearts are drifting. And God says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. So God is bringing them, giving them certain instructions that might be contrary to what they're doing now because he's calling them into their true purpose, their true identity, but their hearts are drifting. So God is saying, remember who it was who called you out of Egypt. Remember who it was who brought you out of Egypt. And then they would respond positively. And then a couple of chapters later, Deuteronomy 24, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. So again, God reminds them, he calls them back. He says, remember you where you were, but I'm calling you back. I've called you out. I've delivered you out of Egypt. But our hearts drift and we forget And then we go back. (laughs) And this is what we see in Exodus 6. Even before um, they were led out of Egypt, Moses went to speak to the people. And this is what the people said to Moses. Moses, uh, well, this is the response that Moses got. Moses relayed the message to the Israelites. But on account of their broken spirit and cruel bondage, they did not listen to him. So Moses goes to the people and says, Israelites, You are serving under Pharaoh as your king, but this is not who we are. We are a people belonging to our God, and God is going to redeem us. God is going to call us out. He is going to set us free. But it says, because of a broken spirit and cruel bondage, they did not listen to him. They did not want to believe it. And I think for us, um, and 
want to ask GP, you can come up so long um, for the keys. We're speaking about the rhythms of grace, so I'm going to allow GP just to play the rhythms of grace behind us. No pressure. But we're speaking about rest is resistance. And the primary thing is that it's resisting the false identifiers over our lives. And you might be here tonight saying, yeah, well, my, maybe some of you feel that your boss is a pharaoh. <laughs> and like, oh, I'm so glad we're not living in those times and we're not slaves in Egypt. But there's a physical bondage and then there's a spiritual bondage. And even though God delivered many of the Israelites physically, they remained there spiritually. And many did not enter the promised land. They did not inherit what was promised and given to them. And now the Bible um, warns us and says, let us be diligent to enter this rest, lest we fall to the same example of disobedience. And when we rest, and we're going to get to the practicalities of rest, but there first needs to be a desire in your heart to say, God, I actually need to rest before we get to the house so that we can resist the very thing that is around you and that wants to identify you. It wants to call you by a different name. And if we if we are looking for our identity in what we do, whatever you find your identity in, that you will worship, that you will give yourself to, and that can be your work, that can be your career. If I achieve this in my career, then I have achieved success in life. If I have accomplished this, or if I've invented something significant, then I've achieved greatness in life. Your parents, you yourself, your friendship circles, your social circles might have certain expectations over your life. And if you don't meet those expectations, then you're not successful in life. Your identity can be found in your relationships. If this relationship works out, if I find that perfect relationship, then I have attained success in life. And you will give yourself to that. One day you'll get married and you'll have children and you're like, if my children are perfect, <laughs> then I've attained success in life. And we fall into this performance-driven culture because what we do defines who I am. Now the question tonight is, what is the truest thing about you? Because in society there are many identifiers that wants to identify you as something. And it can be your work, like I said. What you do, what you have, your bank balance. What you don't have. You feel inferior when you step into certain circles because of what you don't have. So it's not about what you do or what you don't do. It's not about what you have or what you don't have. It's also not about what you desire or don't desire. You see, you can come to the end of your life and you could have been an incredibly successful business person and you have your holiday homes and you went on all of your vacations and you've ticked all of the, the bucket list items on your list. You've been generous um, and you're even leaving a great inheritance to your children. 
But if your identity is rooted in what you've accomplished in your life, the inheritance you are leaving your children is a false rest. The true rest, true life, true success and significance can be found in anything other than God. And that's an idol. And you might not be physically under a slave master like Pharaoh, but we willingly submit ourselves to spiritual slavery where we remain in Egypt even though we've been called by a different name. You are a people of God and there is an inheritance that belongs to the people of God. There is a worth connected to the people of God. And when we have that, people can do things around you. You can lose your job. You can lose all of your savings. You might never accomplish another great thing in your career. Your worth isn't linked to what you do. It's connected to who you are. And if you are secure in who you are as a child of God, your worth cannot be changed. You are worthy because God said so. If you ever doubted it, go and look to the cross where He said, I love you so much that I'm willing to give my life for you. The extent of your worth is Jesus on the cross. That's how much you are worth. And then your inheritance Bible says that the nations are your inheritance. The Bible says that we store up treasures for ourselves that moth and rust and thieves cannot destroy. But there's a space where you and I step from this life into the next and there are crowns waiting for you because you have set yourself up to live for something that cannot be taken away because there's an inheritance that belongs to the people of God. I want to read one last verse, or two maybe. Hebrews 4 verse 2 says, For good news came to us just as to them, speaking about the Israelites. So there's good news that there is a rest that belongs to the people of God. But the message they heard did not profit them or benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The New King James says it was not mixed with faith. The hearing of the word wasn't mixed with faith so that this word can become can come into action. And friends, as long as we just hear the word but it's not mixed with faith to take hold of something that God wants to give us, you will remain in a place of spiritual bondage. And you will struggle with Christianity because you will even look to the works of Christianity to validate your identity. And God won't allow that. Sometimes the rock that you are stumbling over isn't the devil, it's Jesus. Because he's not going to allow you to step into something that is not true. What is the truest thing about you? What is the truest thing about you? In John 5, verse 37 to 40, in John 5, there's the story of Jesus healing the man at the pool of Bethesda. Um, so this man was lame and he was lying by the pool and no one's ever been there to carry him into the pool to be healed. And Jesus says to him, pick up your bed and walk. Um, and then the Pharisees seek to kill him because he healed someone on the Sabbath. Again, they were holding to legalistic rules, but they were missing the person of Christ. And then later on, Jesus addresses them and he says to them, and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me 
His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you do not have His Word abiding in you. If you missed our Abide series, go and catch up. Because apart from abiding in Christ, you will not bear fruit. Apart from abiding in Christ, you can do nothing. Our lives can bear no eternal fruit apart from abiding in Christ. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the the religious leaders, it was their work to study scripture and then to relay it back to people. And this privilege that was given to them by God became a position. And they would esteem themselves higher than others and they would have different pathways where they would walk so that the people could look up to them. And their work became their identity. And Jesus says to them, you think by in your work and being diligent in your work in what you do, you have eternal life, but you're missing it. These, all of this points to me. And I think that's sometimes the biggest danger that you and I can be busy with good things, even things that God wants you to do. But if those things form your identity, you are missing the one. And Jesus says, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have eternal life. before the service I felt just these words Um, we're going to respond to this now there's this echo from heaven into the world that ushers these words come to me when Jesus calls his first disciples he says come follow me Jesus says to these religious leaders "Um, if you will only come to me you will have eternal life Jesus says to those who are tired and weary and heaven laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus says to the woman at the well, come to me. Jesus says to the people who, the 5,000 whom he fed with the loaves of bread and the fishes, come to me. And Jesus says to you and to me, come to me. So I want us to close our eyes. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you now. God doesn't choose to speak to you because of you. So you might say, there's no way I've tried this. God doesn't speak to me. If you knew my life, you wouldn't speak to me either. God chooses to speak to you because of Him. Because He is faithful. Jesus says, no one can come to the Father unless the Father who sent him, Jesus, draws them in. The fact that God wills to draw you in means that he will speak to you.
I want to make two simple invitations tonight. The one is an invitation where you know God and you are in relationship with God, but you have been relying on your own strength. In Isaiah chapter 30, there's this warning to say that you look towards Egypt for strength and comfort, but they will fail you. But when we repent and we turn, return to Him, we will find rest. And if you're in a space tonight where you know that God is calling you to come and return to Him, to find your true rest in Him, to allow Him again to be the truest former of your identity, I want you just to raise your hand quickly. ask you to be bold and to stand and I'll tell you now why I'm asking this I know it's um, you're going to be you're going to feel exposed but it's okay I'm trusting that as you stand up the Holy Spirit will comfort you the thing that often keeps us from coming to Jesus is just our own pride so why I'm asking you to stand is just for you to break an element of pride. I don't care what people think. I don't care what people say. Just stretch out your hand as a, in a posture of receiving from God. Father, would you come and pour out your spirit? And would you come and deposit a boldness in their hearts to resist? Teach them what it means to live in the rhythms of your grace. Holy Spirit, we are so dependent on you revealing to us the false things we look to for our identity and our worth. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about something specific that you look to for your identity, just give it to Him right now. Say, Jesus, I repent. I'm sorry. I give this to you. This thing cannot define me. This work cannot define me. This relationship cannot define me. This desire cannot define me. You define me. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would draw them in into a space of abiding in you. That you would come and teach them true rest. That your word, your truth would abide in them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can sit second invitation and we'll do this often in church some of you are being called to come to Jesus and this might be the first time where you've not been a follower of Christ you might even have been in church for a long time but you've not allowed Jesus to be in charge you've not allowed him to be the Lord over your life and Jesus is calling you to him that's the goal we don't rest so that you get saved. You don't rest so that you can find Jesus. You don't rest so that God can be um, more, more joyful over you. That's just the fruits of it. We come to Jesus and then we rest. And for some of you, Jesus is calling you to Him tonight. And I 
want to ask if you're here tonight and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, to give Him all of your life, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to ask you to stand. If you are uncertain, whether you are born again or not please do come and speak to me because the enemy wants to keep you in a place of uncertainty and deception and then he will keep you from rest I just want to echo what Yaku has been saying tonight Um, throughout this series I realize that this topic in one sense is something that we're all desperate for we all feel the busyness of life we all feel the busyness of Pretoria culture and the systems that we are stuck in and we all know that rest is important but sometimes it feels like we're chasing it but we're not ever getting into rest And I just want to echo what Yaku said. There's a a saying um, that says, the chief end of man is to love God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, many of us feel like, God, what am I supposed to do with my life? What's my purpose, God? What can I do for your kingdom? What can I do that's significant enough? And that's where many of our restlessness comes from. It's that striving. Like Yaku said, it's that looking for identity, looking for worth. And what can I do for God? Or what can I do for my family? Or what can I do in this world so that I can make a name for myself? So that I can feel worthy? So that my Instagram looks good? But what if your greatest goal in life is Jesus? Is to know Him and to love Him and to enjoy Him. That's the goal. we can understand that church we will find a lot more rest and we will learn to say no to all the things that is making us so busy that is making us so restless and so I want to encourage you tonight right now speak to him and pray to him and even as we worship now like Yaku said he's calling us to come to him not to come to him for rest or for this or for that, but to come to Him for Him, for God. Like, God, I want You. I just want You. I don't know what that means, but I just want You because I know that You want me and You died for me. And it's because He first loved us that we can love Him. So I really want to encourage you as we worship now and as we spend time just in this moment, Speak to God and say, Lord, I'm looking for rest, but I'm not finding it. Teach me to make you my goal. You cannot go wrong to make Jesus the goal of your life. And it's in that where your rest is hidden. So we're going to sing one song together. right? And I want you to respond. Um, 
to what Marielle said now, to speak to God and to ask Him to speak to you and then to respond in worship to God. So you're welcome to sit, you're welcome to stand. We're going to sing one song together.